0: What's going on, everybody. Welcome to episode 233 of the DFS DOS podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we will be doing part two of our wide receiver ranking show. Earlier this week, we went through our top 20. You can find that episode on this podcast feed. We've already talked about the running back position, the quarterback position, and today we will continue to through wide receivers we have another show coming out later this week to finish up wide receivers on to tight ends next week a lot of content dropping here on the podcast before we get into this next batch of wide receivers though i did have a little topic i wanted to touch on it became sort of a conversation piece on twitter last night i've been seeing a lot of it i didn't really realize that i was in the minority when it comes to podcast listening speed you know i like to just Mm -hmm. listen at at regular old 1x but everybody else out there is on this 1.5 to 2x sort of wave and i believe that that that's the vibe that you're on as well
1: yeah i mean first of all i just want to say that you're in the minority with 99 percent of your opinion so it shouldn't be any new territory for you and i'm ready
0: to go to battle about this by the way
1: I mean, it's it's not really a battle. Like, it's honestly just what you prefer. Like, obviously, I'm not going to look at you different if you listen to your podcast on 1x speed, right? Like, that's that's normal. Or that that's pretty normal to me. But personally, and I even take it a step further. I, I do this for YouTube videos because I'm just sick in the fucking head. I go to 1.5x off rip. And if that's too slow for me, I will go to 2X like a fucking savage. I think for me, what it just comes down to is, in general, people talk relatively slow. And I could say the same thing. Like I could say that for myself. I, I can understand that. Usually I am a pretty slow talker. I like to you know think about what I'm going to say. I like to articulate my thoughts in a you know well-constructed construct, manner usually. And so I personally speak a little bit slow and I can recognize that, especially when I listen to this podcast when it drops every single week because I, I listen to it. I just want there to be no gaps of space, of dead air, when I'm listening to something. And obviously that's just natural. It's going to happen in podcasts, especially on podcasts with let's say three or four people, you know, there might be some slight pauses and whatnot. And I just don't want any of that. So 1.5 X cuts out all the dead air, cuts out all the dead space. And I mean, it's just a time optimization strat as well. Like you're saving time by increasing your podcast speed like do i want to listen to an hour-long podcast for an hour absolutely no shot but i will i listen to an hour-long podcast in you know 35 minutes or 40 minutes yeah fuck yeah
0: Mm. counterpoint is that like i don't understand the the desire to rush like i look forward Mm. to a new podcast coming out that i like to listen to i don't i don't why would I want to make that thing that I've been looking forward to all week cut down from an hour to 45 minutes? Like mm. to me, it would be the same as watching like one of your favorite TV shows at one of or and a YouTube, half X. It, or it, YouTube it, videos, right? Like to me, that makes no sense. Like, are you going to go and listen to a song on 2X speed? Like, no, like to me, it's just another form of media that I feel like should be consumed in the way that it was intended by the people who create it. Now, I totally agree with you when it comes to the dead space thing, but in my opinion, That just comes down to the vast majority of people being bad at editing or not putting nearly enough time into editing. Like for me, some could say that it's a bad use of time for us to spend so much time that we do editing our content because, you know, it it would be easy to just slap it together and then leave all the dead air in there and then, you know, leave all the uhs and the ums and shit like that. But I'll spend Mm. a whole nother hour editing the podcast to take that out of it because that's what I feel like is, is the quality needs to be done so you can do that while maintaining i feel like the the regular speed and and to me it's just like there's so few podcasts or even like Shows or, or songs that I like listening to. That when there is something new that I'm that I'm excited to hear, like I want to fully enjoy it and not rush through it. So that's I think, how I look
1: at it. Yeah, no, like I said, I, I kind of agree that you know listening on on one X is is totally fine. I think at the end of the day, for me, it just goes back to kind of my main point is that people just naturally talk a little bit slower, and I think that on one point five X you could still, you know, digest the content because it's not going too fast to the point where you're missing topics or arguments but it's not going too slow to where you're where it's like kind of dragging on and the conversations are dragging on just because of how people naturally are and obviously i get the whole editing thing and that that's definitely a, a good point for sure that you know a lot of other podcasts aren't editing as good as they potentially could but i just think at the end of the day and i think a lot of people would agree just makes it sound smoother it just flows better when the speed is increased a little bit and really for me, podcasts, are the only time that I'm going to do it. I, I do do it with some YouTube videos. Sometimes, very rarely, will I do that. If it's a long video, say it's like a stream, a fantasy football stream, or you know something where I'm trying to learn, like, yeah, I'll throw it on 1.5X because I don't want to sit there for an hour and a half and watch a YouTube video. But other than that, it's really just podcasts where I'm doing that. And ultimately, I just think it sounds smoother and the conversations flow better at an increased speed
0: yeah no that that's the one exception for me is like when it's strictly no entertainment value and i'm just trying to learn as much as possible then i will definitely turn it up because then i'm on the side of time optimization rather than trying mm-hmm. to like kick back and enjoy but yeah i mean i couldn't fathom doing it for like a podcast i'm listening to for for fun or enjoyment or
1: yes yeah, i i guess that's also on this last point going on way too long i don't really listen to a lot of podcasts for entertainment value mm. like I, I know like you listen to kind of like the joe but in podcasts, obviously, that's entertainment and maybe some other ones and whatnot. Nah, I don't listen to any of those. I listen to strictly fantasy football. And a lot of these guys just, you know, I, I just want to hear their opinions and takes on players. And I can throw that on 1.5x and get through it and, you know, gather all the information that I need in a short amount of time. Optimizing it like that makes a ton of sense in that regard.
0: You you were about to say because cause they're so damn boring and un, <laughs> un-, un- entertaining, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of people just you know they they just strictly it's strictly football. They don't really like you know talk about their personalities or personal lives or nothing like that. Kind of, I mean, we do a, l- a little bit on the cold opens, but
0: yeah. No, for sure. All right. Let's get into the wide receivers here in part two of our ranking show. We did the top 20 in part one and starting off at 21, we've got Gabriel Davis. Both of us have Gabe Davis ranked at 21, the most polarizing player on fantasy Twitter this off season. We've talked about him at length. I'm honestly sure that everybody listening to this is probably tired of hearing the Gabriel Davis discourse, but maybe this is your your first time listening to a fantasy podcast all off season, and you're like, Gabriel Davis, wide receiver twenty one. Really, that's high. No, that's absolutely where he needs to be going. Gabe Davis is such a high ceiling player as the shoe-in wide receiver two on this Bills offense. Both of us are on the side of Gabe Davis as a good pick in the fourth round. Yeah, I, I don't understand the detraction other than he hasn't proven it, but this is a new situation and I'm, I'm all in on Gabe this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. So, you know, if it is somehow your first time listening, it's it's a couple pods back where we really dive in deep into the Gabe Davis uh, discourse. Like you said, we're both in on Gabe Davis. And ultimately what I think it comes down to is People are looking too far into the past instead of projecting for the future, right? The term that we like to say for DFS especially, past results don't indicate future success. And you could say that for anything in life. Looking at what Gabe Davis did last year or in 2020 doesn't mean anything for 2021 in this new situation with no sanders no cole beasley and from week 14 on of last year gabe davis became an 80 plus percent snap player he went over seven targets four times in that time span had multiple good games had a 25 point game and obviously the uh the 204 game in the playoffs against the chiefs and his ceiling is just extremely high and it's honestly that simple for me in best ball he has one of the highest ceilings as we saw at the receiver. Receiver position you know pro- probably top 20 at the position he's wide receiver 21 according to underdog adp and he's on one of the best offenses in the nfl i think the the problem with gabe davis is people just think that the price doesn't fit the player himself but I- i'd be fine drafting gabe davis where he's going i mean i just want all pieces of this bill's offense
0: could not agree more i'm, I'm just trying to get yeah, as much exposure to the Bills as possible. It's that possible. simple. Yeah.
1: It, it, it's that fucking simple. Like, I, I don't get why people are overthinking it. I want the players that are going to be catching the balls from Josh Allen and one of the best offenses and one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the league.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that you could make that argument basically for every Bills – player. Like I think that Singletary and Cook both project a little bit worse than some of the players in their range, but I still want exposure because if things break right, they're smashing just off being in that offense. Like Crowder, who we'll get to probably in the next episode is a player that I haven't really been taking a lot of, but recently I'm coming around. I'm like, you know what? It can happen any given week just being in the Bills offense. So I'm I'm taking all Bills at cost right now. I don't really care uh, about the detractors. (laughs) Just go. Bills, give them to me. So Gabe Davis is no different. Let's talk about another offense where... I think you could make that same case. Juju Smith-Schuster, who you have ranked at 22, is the Chiefs wide receiver one in terms of ADP. It remains to be seen if that is the role that he has. We really don't know post-Tyreek how targets are going to shake out. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is going to get his, but these wide receivers, I feel like it could go in any direction. Juju is going as the wide receiver 27, MVS wide receiver 44, Sky Moore 48. Do you think that Juju deserves to be as far ahead of these other guys as he is right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I personally think so. I think that Juju Smith-Schuster is the most talented wide receiver in the Chiefs wide receiver core. I think that he was kind of plagued by bad quarterback play over the last couple of seasons. And then obviously he dealt with some injuries as well. And I have him as the wide receiver 22 in my rankings. He's going as the wide receiver 27. So I'm five spots ahead of the consistency census ADP on Juju and I think what kind of made me rank him there was the situation that he's in I think that there is a lot of competition obviously I don't think it's a lot of good competition you know we've talked about before that MVS kind of just hasn't done anything in the NFL I know he's the highest paid Chiefs wide receiver but at the end of the day that won't matter if he can't play and there's a good fucking chance that MVS just isn't good at football and Mm -hmm. he's a one-trick pony kind of the the same thing kind of goes with McCole Hardman. You know, we, we we've seen McCole Hardman not be a good wide receiver in the league. So really, I think it's. Kelsey and Juju as the main two options on, again, one of the best offenses in the NFL with the best quarterback in the NFL in one of the best schemes for pass catchers. And I think that Juju is going to absolutely smash this year. And I've been drafting Juju all offseason. So this shouldn't even be a hot take if uh, people have been in the drafts and in streams with us. So,
0: yeah. And the other thing about Juju is that, you know, over the past two seasons in Pittsburgh, his yards per reception was 8.6, which is just a bit low. And he's sort of gotten pigeonholed by the community into being that kind of receiver. But we saw at the beginning of his career that he was not just that guy, you know, he could make explosive big plays, especially 2018 when he had 1400 yards as a sophomore receiver. Now, you know, a lot of the times I think we don't see players have that type of season and then have three quote unquote down years and then re-energize and become that player again. But really Juju Smith-Schuster is still super young. He's 25 years old, has been playing with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger for years and now enters a Kansas City Chiefs offense with the highest upside of any of these players and the potential to separate himself with target shares wide open. So I I think the upside is crazy for Juju, and I'm right there with you as far as drafting him goes. Another wide receiver that I think is in a situation, albeit with significantly worse quarterback play, but just a situation where the competition for targets is abysmal It is Darnell Mooney, who had a 24% target share last season. Allen Robinson leaves the team and gets replaced with a combination of Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry, and Vilas Jones. Darnell Mooney Mm -hmm. might lead the goddamn NFL in targets. I swear to God that these bums are not going to stop him from getting his. Darnell Mooney enters his third season as the clear-cut wide receiver one for Justin Fields. If Fields can take any sort of step forward, I think Mooney is absolutely smashing his ADP. He is going to be one of my highest-owned players by far this Mm -hmm. offseason.
1: Yeah. I mean, Darnell Mooney. I think that he is a very good selection in drafts right now. I think his ceiling is extremely high. He had 140 targets last year, and that was that was with Allen Robinson. You know out there at least right you know he didn't do much but he was still out there every game and he had a 65% whopper which was top 12 in the league you know he had a higher whopper than Stefan Diggs last year and Tyreek Hill and Jamar Chase you know some guys that are going in the first round Uh, obviously the situation isn't ideal but they did make the move to get rid of Matt Nagy right that's always good get rid of that scrub great they brought in a new head coach they kind of just overhauled the entire coaching staff and i think justin fields just wasn't utilized in the optimal way for how he wants to play and i think just coming out of ohio state and how he wants to play is he wants to stretch the field like he wants to take shots down deep down the field they didn't really do that but but darnell mooney is the perfect wide receiver for how Justin Fields wants to play, in my opinion, I think he's going to absolutely fucking smash And You know, I just want to give a quick shout out. I, I was on Darnell Mooney since his rookie year just just want to say that there's proof in these podcasts if you want to go back 150 episodes
0: you are um I, I can give you uh some backup on that and it's just absolutely what you want to see from a wide receiver between year one and year two where you earn you know 42 more targets you get 20 more catches you get like 400 more yards it's just the absolute sort of step that you want to see and a player that I think we as the community are projecting to take that sort of step this year in his second year is Rashad Bateman who you know obviously. Obviously gets the boost in Baltimore, seems to be the shoe-in wide receiver one after they trade away Marquise Brown to Arizona. I, I will say, though, I will say, the one concern that I have with Rashad Bateman that I don't know if it's being brought up enough is just that if this Ravens team reverts back to the way they were in, say, 2019— which is sort of the rhetoric we've been hearing, is that they want to just absolutely control the ball on the ground, be super run-heavy. Even as the wide receiver won, I'm not sure what the targets are going to look like. Like Marquise Brown in 2019 was the wide receiver one in Baltimore, and he had 71 targets. Even in 2020, he had 100 targets. It wasn't until last year where, where Marquise Brown really got the targets that he needed to elevate and and finally flash the ceiling that we knew he had. He had 146 in his third year. If this team is super run-heavy, I I just don't know what sort of targets Rashad Bateman is going to be able to get. I think he'll have a good target share, but actual volume, number of targets per game could be shaky for Bateman, despite the talent and situation being pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely hear your concerns for sure. I just think that they are going to go more run heavy, 100%. And, you know, the the J.K. Dobbins Twitter dunk on Ian Rappaport could have been a cold open because he, he absolutely dunked on him and then just went off on like kind of his own Little rant. I mean, uh, without without adding them, has Ian Rappaport been seen since then? I I don't. I don't (laughs) even know. But, (laughs) but. It seems like JK is going to be ready. It seems like Gus is going to be ready for week one. So they should have a full complement of running backs ready to go for week one. And I do think with Greg Roman still there as the offensive coordinator, this is going to be a run first team. But obviously you're losing Hollywood Brown. That's 145 targets gone. You lose Sammy Watkins. That's 49 targets gone. That's almost 200 targets open in the Ravens offense. And then if you we just take a look at the depth chart, it's Rashad Bateman. Tylen Wallace, James Prosh, Devin Duvernay, Rashad Bateman is the only wide receiver there, and it's, it's not like they're going to run the ball every play. Like they're they're still going to throw the ball a ton, and obviously Mark Andrews is kind of yeah, the wide receiver one I was in the offense. Say, don't
0: forget, don't forget their actual target leader.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, Mar- Mark Andrews is the wide receiver one on the offense for sure. But there's still a fuck ton of opportunity for Rashad Bateman this year, and. I think he's going to absolutely eat, and we should see a nice year to leap out of him. He's really the only target outside of Mark Andrews on this offense. So this passing game is going to center around these two guys, and I think I would expect a nice breakout year from Rashad Bateman. So I have him ranked at 24, you have him ranked at 23, and we're pretty much in line, and you know, I, I, I've in the drafts that we've both been in, we've been drafting him quite a bit. So
0: absolutely. Let's talk about a guy who's actually going ahead of some of these players, but, uh, skipped over him. Deontay Johnson, who, you know, similar to what we were saying about Juju has sort of gotten pigeonholed into this role where he's such a, a, a low average depth of target player, just because of Ben Roethlisberger's quick and heavy decline, but they're are some potential outcomes where Deontay Johnson actually benefits from Ben Roethlisberger being gone I I guess to me the thing that always holds me down with Deontay is I just don't know how we can be drafting him 30 wide receiver spots ahead of Claypool when I feel like the range of outcomes for both of those players is is I don't know similar enough that it's just not deserving where Deontay is going as the wide receiver 20 on underdog and Claypool is going as the wide receiver 50 I mean do do you think that Deontay deserves to be ranked that far ahead of the other Steelers' pass catchers, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean... I personally think so. I I really do like Deontay Johnson a ton. And I think it's more so like Claypool obviously might have a higher ceiling just from, you know, a raw talent perspective and a best ball perspective. But I think Deontay Johnson is just the ultimate target earner. And he's shown that throughout his career. And he's just been, he's just been way more consistent than Chase Claypool. And then you also factor in with Claypool and, you know, we'll probably talk about him later in this episode but there there there's just kind of like an immaturity around Chase Claypool like he got benched multiple times last season maybe it was because of his play Maybe it was because he, you know, was getting up and celebrating when they need to be spiking the, the ball. But it just seems like the, the range of outcomes it could be very wide with Chase Claypool. Whereas I think with Deontay Johnson, I think you're going to get a player who is a very talented wide receiver. He earns targets at a very high rate. Right. He was fifth in the NFL. In target share last year at almost 28%, 169 targets, which was third in the league, tied with Devontae Adams. This is just a guy that is going to be heavily utilized in the Steelers passing offense. The Steelers actually were second in the NFL in pass rate last year. Maybe that's more so because their offensive line was just fucking horrible and they ran the ball for two yards every play. But Deontay Johnson I think the floor is very, very high, and I think he also has a, a high ceiling as well. And he could be utilized a little bit differently now that they don't have the corpse of uh, Ben Roethlisberger back there. So if if the offense, or if the passing offense gets a, a little upgraded this year, I think Deontay and Claypool are both pretty solid buys.
0: Yeah, I I could see Claypool's targets coming down and his yards per reception going up so maybe it all balances out I think that's how I envision Deontay's season playing out but I guess we'll see let's talk about this next grouping of two wide receivers that I find to be pretty interesting in DK Metcalf and Amari Cooper these are guys that in years past you know were, were taking quite a bit higher than where they're going you know sort of in that fringe fifth sixth round range now obviously it is based on their current quarterback situations DK Metcalf goes from having you know borderline elite Russell Wilson to you know the worst quarterback situation in the league with Geno Smith and Drew Locke and then Amari Cooper is obviously caught in the midst of this Deshaun Watson ambiguity surrounding his suspension but these are two players that I think even with bad quarterback situations have the talent to produce and and I think outproduce their current ADP so these are guys that I've been taking quite a bit especially Amari Cooper who to me I don't care if it's 16 17 games straight of Jacoby Brissett I think he's putting up a thousand yards and six to eight touchdowns he's just that good and and there's no competition in Cleveland
1: yeah obviously I think with Amari Cooper a lot depends on the Deshaun Watson suspension and the rhetoric around that currently is they're bracing for an eight game suspension uh who knows if that's true or not but I think the most likely a scenario is Watson gets four to eight games. So Cooper obviously is going to be the alpha wide receiver one in that offense, even with Bursette starting. So I don't mind him. And then when Deshaun Watson comes back, it's wheels up for Amari Cooper, in my opinion. Uh, So he's definitely a player that you want to be targeting in tournament format. So DraftKings and Underdog, whereas I I think he could be a worse pick on drafters, which is total points. And then With DK Metcalf, I mean, I think DK Metcalf is a fade, personally. Obviously, total freak of nature, and you really don't want to bet against players like that uh, just because his touchdown upside is extremely high, 12 touchdowns last year, 10 touchdowns the year before, but the quarterback situation is just by far the worst in the NFL with Drew Locke and Geno Smith as the starting quarterbacks. I don't know. I have DK Metcalf ranked as my wide receiver 27. He's going as the wide receiver 25, so I'm a couple spots below the consensus. I just want no parts of the Seattle offense. It kind of just goes back to my thought process just behind the season in general. And it's, you know, I don't really want to target players on bad and inefficient offenses this year. And the Seahawks could be in contention to be the most run heavy team as well this year with Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker.
0: No, that's that's definitely fair and, and to your point about not drafting players in bad situations, does that fall onto Brandon Cooks for you this year? I know that historically you've been a guy that fades Brandon cooks guaranteed <laughs> 1000 yard season every single year that we've done this podcast. And he continues <laughs> to go out and ball and put up a thousand, but you know, this might be the first time in the tenure of our podcast that I, I think I'm off Brandon cooks. So I, How do you feel about him this year? For me, I would rather take you know sixteenth round Nico Collins than fifth round Brandon Cooks. But I mean, Brandon Cooks is inevitably probably going for a thousand this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, never fails, right?
0: It hasn't yet. It really (laughs) has. He's gonna get discount Mike Mike Evans low key.
1: (laughs) Yeah, obviously the situation isn't the greatest. And the quarterback situation isn't the greatest either, but the opportunity is massive. So I should say the situation is good for fantasy opportunity, but the Texans just as a team and as an offense probably just are not going to be good last season multiple games with 20 plus points like you you're, you're going to get spike weeks out of Brandon Cooks without a doubt in my mind and I, I think this season i don't necessarily tilt one way or the other in terms of fading or buying Brandon Cooks he's just in the, he's just in the pocket of the draft where i'd just rather draft a quarterback or I'd rather draft Rashad Bateman or Juju Smith or Allen Robinson, just some guys that I think have higher upsides mm-hmm. this year. So I don't necessarily hate Brandon Cooks. I just like other players around him more than him himself. So that that's kind of why I haven't drafted any Brandon Cooks.
0: I think that's definitely fair. I'm going to talk about three wide receivers that have been giving me maybe the most trouble of anybody in drafts right now. And that's Chris Godwin. DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas, three guys that I think we would all classify as absolute elite wide receivers, but they all have different issues surrounding them that are making them shaky picks. Chris Godwin coming off of an injury. There have been really good reports on his recovery that he may even be back for week one, though the Bucs have been noncommittal. DeAndre Hopkins dealing with a six-game suspension, and Michael Thomas has just been You know, a shadow. He's been a whisper in the back of our minds for almost two years now. There is hope that he will be back for training camp, but we just haven't heard a legitimately good report on Michael Thomas in so long. It's hard to know where to put him, especially as the Saints will have a new quarterback from the last time he played. They traded up to add a first round wide receiver in Chris Olave this year. So all three of these guys are in interesting situations. How are you dissecting this group of players that we? Could see miss games, but on a per game basis are still probably quite a bit better than where they're going in drafts right now.
1: Yeah, this is this is a tough range, uh for sure. How I approach it is I think that these guys are definitely better in tournament formats, just because you are kind of playing for week seventeen, right? And assuming that they stay healthy, they will probably be alpha wide receivers, especially in fantasy in week 17 where all of the money is to be won now on drafters i think they are definitely worse picks just because you might not get a full season out of michael thomas or chris godwin right now i have it ranked with these three players specifically, I have it Godwin, Michael Thomas, and then DeAndre Hopkins. I just think that there is a higher chance that Godwin and Michael Thomas play more games than DeAndre Hopkins, because as it stands right now, Hopkins will only play ten games in the fantasy season. So you gotta rank him a little bit lower, but obviously he's still in a nice upside player to target, especially if you have some some nice consistent high-end wide receivers that you drafted early is the builds where I would target DeAndre Hopkins and then with Godwin and Michael Thomas I mean especially Michael Thomas he's he's very polarizing and who the fuck knows if he's going to be even ready to go for week one but I think if he's ready he's he's a very very good pick and I I have a good amount of Michael Thomas Mm -hmm. and same with Godwin I mean but The only concern is that wide receivers do tend to have a dip in production the year after an ACL injury. So that would give me pause on Godwin. But uh, as the season goes on, Godwin will only get better. And that's kind of what you want out of the wide receivers in, you know, the eighth, ninth, tenth round that you're drafting.
0: Yeah. And and for me, it's, it's definitely like you said, I think that these guys are better picks in leagues with playoffs opposed to total points on drafters. I also think that it can come down to the texture of your team. Now there are a lot of players like this I think where like we project for them to have better second halves like all of these guys potentially you know Michael Gallup Jamison Williams. I like to actively pair these guys on rosters with players that I think can start strong. Two good examples of that would be like Marquise Brown. Like we just talked on our last episode about how we think Marquise Brown is going to be absolutely stone cold elite for the first six weeks of the season. Will Deion Andre Hopkins is out. You know, I think that that's the perfect type of player to come back and, and hammer like Chris Godwin a couple, couple rounds later. Like you've got Marquise Brown surefire wide receiver one for the first four five, six weeks of the season. And then you're probably getting Godwin back. So even if the production dips, you're getting another elite receiver right there uh, at that yeah. point in the season. So I like to just try and do things like that. And, and, you know, you can alternate, you know, you can get Russell Gage and DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, Godwin and Marquise Brown and just do stuff like that to get creative and, and make sure that you have consistent upside at all points in the season for your specific team. Agreed. All right, let's uh, let's disagree here. Let's talk about mm-hmm. a Monroe St. Brown who you have ranked at wide receiver 29. That's pretty in line with his ADP on underdog, where he is going as the wide receiver 29. I have him as my wide receiver 39. So I am super low on Amon Ra compared to the general consensus. And for me, I get it you know, he finished, had a monster stretch down the end of the year, I am a Lions fan, so like, this is not coming from a place of bias, nothing like that, weeks 13 through 18 he was absolutely goaded, but he had a 33% target share and there is just no chance in hell that that sustains, they brought in DJ Chark, they spent a first round pick on Jamison Williams, TJ Hawkinson back healthy, DeAndre Swift back healthy, a bunch of other role players, like Amon Ross St. Brown realistically will be much closer to a 20% target share, then a 33% target share. And as a result, it doesn't matter how good you are. I think that it's going to be coming down, especially on an offense quarterbacked by Jared Goff that is not going to be able to sustain all five of these pass catchers regardless. So I I personally just don't understand why Amonra is going where he is going unless people just think that he is magically going to be able to maintain this otherworldly target share. And I see no scenarios where that plays out.
1: Yeah. Obviously, I don't think anybody in their right mind would project Amon Ra to have a 33% target share again with the added competition, right? I just think that you can't overlook what he did last year. And I, I know he ran good with just injuries and whatnot. Hawkinson gets hurt. DeAndre Swift gets hurt. They didn't really have any depth at wide receiver that they have now. Definitely ran good in, in terms of just NFL variants right but like I said I don't think you can understate how good he was in that stretch and even like bad wide receivers with that opportunity just aren't doing what he did so I take that into account more than anything and then I mean we were talking about it pre-pop but the competition is there right but it, it might not be that great DJ Chark is kind of a career bus I know I've been high on him but he, has, he hasn't worked out Josh Reynolds is is the wide receiver three he's, he's whatever TJ Hawkinson I think for me at least, has been kinda of disappointing in his career. And DeAndre Swift is is very good. So it's like the competition might be a little overrated. I, I mean, think you that you didn't even
0: mention young Tyreek.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's coming off a torn ACL. Gonna miss the first few weeks of the season, whatever. And I think with Jameson it kind of just Depends on how the Lions want to use him. Uh, Will they use him in that Tyreek role where they get him the ball just in any way that they can or will they just strictly use him as kind of that deep threat, as kind of that field opener? That remains to be seen. We truly don't know. Nonetheless, Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, is just a good wide receiver. He's going to see opportunity, even if he doesn't average 12 targets a game again. I think he's going to average seven to eight targets. Jared Goff is obviously going to look to him as the slot wide receiver. Jared Goff can't do much other than that. And I just think that you have him way too low like it's not like i'm high on a monroe it's not like i've been drafting him crazy honestly might have zero shares to be honest because his price is kind of expensive but having him as your wide receiver 39 when he's the consensus wide receiver 29 i think that's kind of a little bit disrespectful
0: you think that's disrespectful let me tell you about elijah moore <laughs> <laughs> elijah <Yeah, I> Moore, mean, <laughs> that's just disrespectful but go on elijah moore is going as the wide receiver 34 on underdog you have him as the wide receiver 33 in your rankings i sunk that dude down to wide receiver 45 no thank you no thank you on elijah Moore. i mean okay all jokes aside he definitely flashed a massive ceiling last year he had Three 20-point games in, in what, 11 played? Um, Really came on during the middle of the season and, you know, flashed the talent that I think we want to see. That being said, I just don't think that this situation is that good for him. At best, this will be a neutral team in terms of run pass rate. I don't think that all of a sudden Zach Wilson's going to come out there and the Jets are going to be top 10 in terms of pass rate over expectation. I think that, you know, if they have their wish that this offense will run through Brees Hall and Zach Wilson will take a bit of a step forward and be a little bit more efficient. But they brought in Garrett Wilson with a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Corey Davis is there. Elijah Moore is there. They brought in CJ Uzoma. Michael Carter is going to get some targets. Brees Hall is going to get some targets. Like, I don't see Elijah Moore as much more than a hyper-talented player with a very questionable target share in a bad situation. And for that reason, I, I just... There are so many guys that I would rather have over him, guys that are attached to better quarterbacks that I think could have higher ceilings if things break right for them. And and that's what it comes down to. I mentioned yesterday that I'm all about the upside, and, and that's what it comes down to. I just think that his upside is capped in this current situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you talk about upside mm-hmm. and ceiling a lot. I do. And Elijah Moore, I think, has a high ceiling, right? 320-plus point games last year. Even some of those were without Zach Wilson. You have Tyler Boyd ranked above Elijah Moore. That's just blasphemous. That's just a bad take. (laughs) <laughs> so I'll 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 put that out into the world. That that's just a, a terrible take, especially for best ball if we're talking about ceiling. Now in terms of the situation, I can agree that they went out and added talent. They added Brees Hall, they added Garrett Wilson. But then again, they are both rookies. They there is no guarantee they are going to come in and perform year one in the NFL. Most rookies do struggle year one, so I don't think you're taking that into account. Elijah Moore is probably the wide receiver one on the offense. Corey Davis, career bust. I don't give a flying F about Corey Davis. This man is a straight-up stone-cold bust. Elijah Moore, in my opinion, as it stands right now, is the alpha wide receiver one in that offense until Garrett Wilson shows us that he could play at the NFL level. His prospect profile is pretty, pretty solid, Elijah Moore, that is. And I I think he's just going to be a target earner in this offense. This offense will take a step forward. I think that Zach Wilson will take a step forward. It's going to be hard for him not to, as he was pretty much the worst quarterback in the league last year. Obviously, he dealt with some injuries as well. Uh, Offensive line wasn't great. They went out, added some pieces to the O-line, and just the overall efficiency should rise. The touchdowns should rise, and I think even with the competition added, I think Elijah Moore will still be a focal point of the offense, and for those reasons... I think that you are just way, 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 way too low on Elijah Moore. It's kind of a similar situation to Amon Ra where, you know, I'm not like overly buying Elijah Moore at his current ADP at 69 and a half on underdog, but having him as your wide receiver 46 is just a blasphemous hill to die on.
0: Bro, both of these guys are just slot receivers on bad teams that had good stretches because there was nobody else on the offense. And now there's other players on the offense. It's it's kind of like like if we were projecting this entire season for hunter renfro to be like what he was last year and ignoring the fact of the addition of of new players it's like no yeah renfro can can put up these monster games Um, Amonra, elijah Moore, they can put up these monster games when there's a bunch of volume up for grabs and they're the only options on the team but those aren't the situations anymore so it's like I, i don't see much that differentiates them as just regular slot receivers like tyler boyd or russell gage or whomever except they're on worse teams
1: yeah but the the thing that what you're doing is you are expecting those additions to work out where in the nfl a majority of the time the additions don't work out you're you're expecting garrett wilson to come in and command a 25 percent target share what if he comes in and he just sucks you're expecting Brees Hall to come in and be this dominant workhorse running back, and maybe a lot of people are expecting that too. But what if Brees Hall, who played at Iowa State going up against mid-level defenses, comes in and isn't as great as everybody's expecting? Like you're 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 projecting these players to come in immediately and start performing, whereas that is not the case in the NFL. It'll take time for these players to get accustomed, and Elijah Moore obviously just already has a head start and he's already got his feet wet. He's already got his toes in the water.
0: See, I I almost don't think that that's what I'm, I, I hear that like, maybe that's how, maybe I'm not enunciating my argument correctly. I think that regardless of the success of those players, I think that the opportunity is still going to be given to them. Whether they succeed with it or not remains to be seen. But Garrett, Garrett Wilson's still going to be out there getting the targets. What's what's he going to do with them? Who knows? But I, I think. Well, that,
1: you thought the same thing with Denzel Mims. So.
0: All uh, right. All right. All right. Relax. You thought the same
1: thing with Denzel Mims. You were the Denzel biggest Mims. Denzel Mims fan of all time. Facts. Second round pick. At, just goes back into my situation. You, mm. you just never know you just never know
0: that's fair all right (laughs) (laughs) so i've got all these guys lower in my rankings right well so so who do i have above consensus well one of those players would be brandon Ayuk, who is the wide receiver 43 In ADP. I've got him 10 spots above that at 33. And I think that he's being docked by the community for his terrible first half last year. But a lot of that I don't think was his fault. I think that there was some conflict going on where he was in Shanahan's doghouse. We talked about this a lot during the season last year, but Brandon Ayuk found his footing. Second half of the year, if you just sort of look at week 8 on, he would have finished as the wide receiver 24, and and to me, that's sort of the type of player that we can expect him to be this year. It's just sort of like a mid-range, wide receiver 2, high end, wide receiver 3. He's a talented player, former first round pick, entering his third year. We just went on a long rant yesterday about how Debo Samuel as a prime regression candidate and if some of that go, gets shifted over to Brandon Ayuk who's talented in his own right I think that he could easily outperform his ADP a lot of this will obviously just come down to what Trey Lance is able to do as a passer
1: yeah and obviously that's the concern is Trey Lance has a wide range of outcomes uh just on him as as a player and as a quarterback. That's kind of why I feel like the 49ers guys, ADPs are depressed a little bit. You know, him, Debo, and Kittle could could all potentially be going higher if Trey Lance was, you know, a proven commodity in the NFL. But obviously, we don't know that. But nonetheless, Ayuk is a talented player. And like you said, he had a good run to end the season last year after a wildly mediocre start. And I have him ranked as the wide receiver 43 just because I do think that the ceiling games are going to be few and far between with Kittle and Debo as kind of the main guys in that offense and Ayuk playing third fiddle there. And, you know, you brought up Debo regression. You know, the main argument behind that was the rushing regression. So if he just becomes more of the the wide receiver, obviously that hurts Ayuk if Debo is running more routes but yeah nonetheless I still like Iyuk as a player I just think that the ceiling is a little bit lower and this 49ers offense could be one of the more run heavy teams in the NFL they were 29th in pass rate last year they passed at only a 51 percent rate and that was with probably a better passer as it stands right now Trey Lance has a higher ceiling but he could be a worse passer and I think for that for that reason, the ceiling could be a little bit lower than some of the guys that he's going around. So I'm pretty much in line with the consensus. You know, I don't see myself moving him up.
0: The only thing I want to push back on real quick is just that if, if they take Debo out of the backfield a little bit more and are lining him up as a traditional wide receiver, I think that that could definitely actually help Ayuk just in the sense that, you know, they're actually going to be shading pass coverage towards uh, Debo and, and, you know, giving him the the true number one wide receiver treatment from a defensive perspective, which could free Ayuk up a little bit more. Whereas if Debo's in the backfield, they're probably, you know, sticking the top corner on Ayuk and and focused on him as the primary wide receiver on that route.
1: So, yeah, um, I mean, for sure. I mean, Debo was 41st in, in routes run last year, but that sh- that should go up. And I mean, it, it definitely makes sense if Debo's running more routes that they're, they're going to be more focused on him. But, you know, I would say if he's, if he's running more routes with Kittle and Ayuk, Iuke, like Ayuk's the third option on any given play, most likely.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I will say maybe the only other player that i'm wildly out of line uh with ADP in is is Robert Woods who is going as the wide receiver 49 on underdog. I have him ranked at wide receiver 34. I just I'm looking at every wide receiver who has an ADP of 100 or higher and i think that Robert Woods is the only one whose like median outcome is a, a 1000 yard season. Like he's just got such a great opportunity to soak up targets in this Tennessee offense after the departure of AJ Brown. They really have no pass catchers outside of Westbrook Akeen and Traylon Burks, who, you know, talking about rookie wide receivers who could come in and struggle. I think that he is the absolute poster child for that. He's a guy that I could absolutely see starting slowly. And Robert Woods is going to just be T- Tannehill's all reliable, just peppering with targets every single week. He, he's going to be consistent could get a decent amount of touchdowns in that offense when Derrick Henry's not vulturing all of them. And I I, want to be in on Robert Woods this year as a bounce-back player in a pretty favorable situation, at least from a target perspective.
1: Yeah, no, I think... Robert Woods will definitely outperform his ADP for sure. Obviously, the ceiling is really the question with Woods. Uh, What is the ceiling on this team that is going to be at the top of the league in terms of rush rate with Derrick Henry fully healthy? Tennessee was 31st last year and that was with Derrick Henry even missing eight games, right? Uh, Traylon Burks there, that's some competition. They went out, they signed Austin Hooper. So there are multiple guys in in this passing offense that will factor in for sure. So I think the overall ceiling is the concern, but the floor could be relatively high. But at the end of the day, I think Robert Woods is an ADP beater for sure, as he's going as the wide receiver 49 on underdog. Um, Great value. That's a little too low. Like like I've been saying, wide receivers production does tend to dip coming off torn ACLs the next year. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Robert Woods is going to be an outlier in that regards. So, So we'll have to see how he looks early in the season. Yeah. Like I said, I just ultimately, I just think he is an ADP beater for sure.
0: All right. So now we cross this line of about wide receiver, you know, 35 through 36, and and we're getting into the wide receiver fours and fives here. In 2021, the wide receiver 37 and 52 had an average points per game differential of 1.7. So this huge group of players were putting up between 10 and 11.7 points per game. The difference between this next batch of guys that we're going to talk about. We may have, you know, a a bunch of different feelings towards them, but when it's all said and done, the guys who are finishing in this range are largely going to not differentiate themselves from one another. So, I mean, we can debate them for sure. Maybe if there's a couple guys you want to highlight in this range that you like and talk about, um, I would definitely say do that. But other than that, I, I feel like, you know, you can look at our rankings in the Discord when they're posted for players in, in this tier. Is, I think that they're relatively interchangeable. And to me, the guys that I select when I'm at, in this part of the draft is all about correlations, and I'm not taking hard stances on really any of these yeah. players.
1: Yeah, I. I View this range relatively the same way um, in terms of guys like, you know, Drake London and Hunter Renfro and Christian Kirk and. Kadarius Tony and MVS, like a lot of these guys, are just correlation pieces. Uh, I'm not necessarily high or lower on these guys. I think they're fine. They're they're probably going to give you some ceiling games with some consistent weeks in there. <laughs> that, that, that's really about it. Like when when you, we start to get to this range, that's when you know the the league winners are few and far between. But there are a couple, and I think the one league winner potentially, you know, you have Chris Olave ranked as, as your 48. As your 48th wide receiver, I think Chris Olave out of this range would be my choice as a potential league winner. This year.
0: Hey, listen, I love that. I've been drafting a ton of Olave. He just seems to always be available, like right when I'm looking for an upside wide receiver in that range. So, you know, I I totally agree. I like taking Olave. He's also a good hedge against Michael Thomas if he decides to not play or if he's not ready or whatever. Olave can absolutely slide in and and be super productive. Yeah,
1: there's just a lot of ways that he gets there, right? Michael Thomas continues to be a diva. Alvin Kamara gets suspended somehow. Uh, before the season or you know god forbid mid-season suspension for Kamara. there there's just a ton of ways that Chris Olave's situation plays out in a favorable manner for him to kind of explode when it matters so I I love Chris Olave and yeah in this range I'm really just taking a shot on the upside you know young guys like like Traylon Burks, Sky Moore, Chris Olave, Kadarius Toney over some of these guys Uh, and I, I should include Devontae Smith in that group as well over some of these guys like, you know, Russell Gage and Hunter Renfro and MVS. Um, that That's personally how I draft.
0: And I think that if we're looking at things in like a large field tournament perspective, that is absolutely the right way to do things. I think that that's going to be it. Enough for episode 233 of the DFS DOS podcast. We're going to come back next week and go into the depths of the wide receivers, sort of talk about our favorite dart throws, the guys that we find ourselves frequently building out our rosters with. I might be able to finally get my Joshua Palmer rant off this offseason which i've been waiting to do so excited for that we'll talk about that on friday if you are not already make sure you're following us on twitter at the dfs dose as well as our personal twitters i'm at ben hover joey's at joey carrying dfs if you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on in the podcast or join the inner circle the link to do so is via our free discord channel you can find that in the show notes to the podcast to everybody listening out there we appreciate you we value you Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.